Make sure you're subscribed to Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit that subscribe button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. We want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. What a turnout. What a crowd. And I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. It would be so nice if we could come together and straighten out the world and straighten out the problems and straighten out all of the death and destruction that we're witnessing. It's practically never been like this. It's uh, just so important. And I want to make that a very big part of our message. We're going to come together. I want to congratulate Ron and Nikki for having a, a good a good time together. We're all having a good time together. And uh, I think they both actually did very well. And uh, I also want to congratulate Vivek because he did a hell of a job. He came from uh, zero and he's uh, got a big percent, probably 8%, almost 8%. And that's a, an amazing job. They all did. They're all very smart. Very smart people, very capable people. That's Donald Trump speaking Monday night after his big win in the Iowa caucuses. Will he be the Republican nominee? Will Joe Biden be the Democratic nominee? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Tuesday afternoon, January the 16th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be talking with Mark Hemingway of Real Clear Investigations about the Iowa caucus results. We'll spend some time with Pastor Tom Baker teaching a Sunday school lesson on Queen Esther in Esther's chapters 2, 3, and 4. Then we'll look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary, the third Sunday after the Epiphany, the Gospel in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus begins his ministry, calls his first disciples. Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, will be our guest. Mark Hemingway is a regular guest and senior writer for Real Clear Investigations. Mark, welcome back. Glad to be back. Were there any surprises last night? Not really. On the other hand, you know, expectations were so high. The fact that Trump cleared 50% was confirmation of a lot of things. I mean, so even though it wasn't necessarily unsurprising that Trump would do that well, it was big news. What did you make of Governor Ron DeSantis' performance? To the extent that there was a surprise last night, um, DeSantis uh, was probably the surprise. The polls were pretty much bang on for every candidate in the race, with the notable exception of DeSantis. Trump and Haley pretty much hit very close to their their polling marks, the expectations coming into the, the actual caucus, whereas Ron DeSantis came in second by exceeding his poll numbers by about five and a half points. And DeSantis dumped a lot of resources and basically pegged his, his entire campaign fate on Iowa. And he put together a really good, you know, ground organization and, and, you know, clearly it paid off to some extent. It just didn't pay off nearly enough to overcome Trump's, you know, obviously huge advantage. What about Nikki Haley? When you consider that, you know, a few months ago, this was considered very much a two-person race with DeSantis and Trump, and DeSantis started out polling at over 30%. The fact that Nikki Haley is 
you know, even with DeSantis, you know, narrowly beating her for second place last night, the fact that Nikki Haley is has a good shot at New Hampshire winning in New Hampshire and is considered the runner up to Trump after last night, it's impressive. I mean, she's put together clearly a good campaign and, and clearly there's a segment of the GOP that, that responds to her. And a month or two ago, I don't think anybody was expecting her to do as well as she was, as, as she has, let alone, you know, be polling second coming into the Iowa caucuses. So the fact that DeSantis overperformed to narrowly take second place isn't exactly a ringing endorsement of his future prospects in this primary. And it does say a lot about Nikki Haley's momentum. So Vivek Ramaswamy finished fourth. He has officially suspended his presidential bid. What are your thoughts on his campaign? Overall, I mean, it was very impressive. I mean, you got to remember, I mean, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley were nationally known political figures for years and years. DeSantis was in Congress before he was, you know, governor of one of the largest, most influential states in the, in the union. And, you know, Nikki Haley was the governor of South Carolina and she was a UN ambassador under Trump. I mean, these are big, well-known figures. And the fact that Ramaswamy, who, you know, was an unknown biotech exec, you know, a year ago, um, managed to get 8% in Iowa um, and is now a nationally known figure. And there are lots of talk about his, his future in public and politics. It's really, really impressive that he did what he did. And not just that, I think that he was a lot of people's second choice, as it were, and he routinely impressed on the trail and in media appearances. I mean, he's got the real gift of gab, and I think what he was saying really resonated with Republican voters. And there's no doubt that now that he's dropped out and endorsed Trump, he's going to be one of the most sought-after surrogates for Trump for the rest of the campaign. You're going to be seeing a lot more of them, and you know, they're, they're probably trying to figure out what role he would play in a Trump administration. What should we make of the polls that show both DeSantis and Haley beating Biden by several percentage points? In fact, in the hypothetical general election, bigger percentages than Donald Trump. Well, those kinds of polls, particularly when you're you're testing hypotheticals, don't necessarily reflect reality simply because to a large extent, DeSantis and Haley, even though they're like, I, I just, you know, mentioned they were, you know, nationally known political figures, they're not nearly as well known to a national audience as say Trump is. And, you know, once you become the nominee and you spend the next six months having, you know, literally hundreds of millions of dollars of ads being dropped on your head, telling people that you're the antichrist, that tends to affect public perception in a dramatic way. And Donald Trump's already survived that through two elections. And so the Democrats spent a lot of time driving up his negatives, whereas DeSantis and Haley haven't really had that opportunity. So, I mean, it's very possible that because DeSantis and Haley in some ways are considered more conventional politicians than Trump, that they could in fact beat Biden by a larger percentage if they were the general election candidates. But it's a hypothetical and there's a lot we just don't know. So I would take that kind of polling with a grain of salt. Given the fact that the American electorate aren't hearing much from Donald Trump, is it possible that he's polling higher than expected? Once Trump starts speaking and doing more interviews, many Americans might be reminded why they didn't vote for him in 2020. Sure. I mean, that's always possible. I mean, one of the things about Donald Trump is he's kind of erratic in terms of what he says and his comments, you know, even recently have been somewhat controversial. However, it was really interesting. A really interesting thing happened last night when Donald Trump won. He came out and he gave an acceptance speech, which, by the way, was only carried on Fox. All the other networks cut away and not just cut away, made a bunch of snide and disparaging comments about why they weren't going to carry Donald Trump's speech. 
And then Trump went out there and gave an incredibly gracious speech where he praised DeSantis and Haley and Vivek as very good candidates and, you know, who ran good races. And he did so using their real names. And he spoke at length about his affection for his family and how they had helped him. And it was just generally a, a very gracious and, you know, disciplined speech. Even though Trump has gotten in hot water for an errant immigration remark recently, the reality is, is that for a while now, if you've been paying attention to Trump rallies and other things like that, it, it sure seems like Trump is more disciplined than he has been in past years, I would say, and is, you know, approaching this election with a degree of sobriety. And it bodes well for the, the general election in that regard. So it's entirely possible that if Trump goes off in typical Trump fashion and says a bunch of controversial stuff, it will hurt him. But for now, he's running a fairly disciplined campaign. And it's, you know, rather curious to me that the media have taken this approach that they're not even going to give him any sort of airtime, which is a bit of an overcorrection from 2016, where all of the media channels like aired his rallies nonstop for their sheer entertainment value only to come to regret it. But I don't think the overcorrecting helps now either, particularly because all these people that say that they're concerned about democracy and all this other stuff, the idea that, you know, you say you're concerned about democracy, but you won't show the public speeches by the leading presidential candidate all the polls really sort of undercuts that message and people are going to notice and it may well backfire on them. My sense of that speech last night was that someone took him aside and said, hey, you're winning by 30 points here. You can afford to be a sore loser when you lose an election, but you can't afford to be a sore winner. And I think that's what changed the tone. What do you think? That's entirely possible. But it's also true that a lot of Trump's desanctimonious nicknames and all that other stuff. I mean, one reason why that kind of pugilistic rhetoric and Borscht Belt insult comic shtick works for him is because he doesn't take it seriously himself. And he, you know, he has the ability to sort of turn it on and off. Whereas I think his opponents let it get under their skin. And that is, in fact, the goal, right? It's entirely possible that Trump himself just, you know, has the good sense and judgment to know that hey, I am beating them by 30 points and I should probably kill them with kindness tonight. One of the things, the biggest mysteries every four years is what happens in the Iowa caucus, this kind of very strange way of reaching a consensus on a candidate. How does it work? <laughs> Honestly, I mean, the intricacies of it are, you know, require a lot to sort of, you know, recount. But basically, it's slightly different than, a, you know, a typical primary where it just shows up votes and leaves, where, you know, everybody goes down to their sort of, you know, local high school gymnasium or, you know, precinct or wherever it is. And they, they sit there and they listen to, in some cases, if you're lucky, the actual candidates can, will come and give a speech in like the bigger places. But very often what it is, it's just a local representative of that candidate comes and gives a speech and people can all discuss things or whatever and then they can go you know register their support for the candidate that they liked but you know it really is a situation where you know people get together and they, it's a, kind of a social thing where they can you know discuss this and it's kind of premised on this this idea that um you know the people in iowa are very much midwestern americans who are sort of you know uniquely heartland folks who take this part of the process very seriously and i don't know i mean this has been there are definitely downsides to this kind of ritual, particularly because it's become such a big event in American politics and hundreds of millions of dollars are spent on it. I mean, the state economy has become dependent on it and other things like that. I mean, I've spent some time in Iowa and as far as I'm concerned, Iowans might be the, the nicest people in the country. 
but every four years it does seem like a certain segment of the state you know turns into monsters you know feeding off of this grand political carnival that you know descends on their state and consumes everything for a couple of months and then they go back to being thoroughly decent farmers and, and midwesterners but i don't know i mean you could say the same thing about the circus in new hampshire and, and a lot of the early primaries mark hemingway of real clear investigations is our guest we're talking about the iowa caucus results Why did the Democratic Party decide to start their primary in South Carolina? We'll answer that question next. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Epiphany season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Epiphany season, 24-7. lutheranpublicradio.org. Here's an easy way for you to help us cast Christnet on the Internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. Listen to what you want, when you want. You're listening to Issues Etc. Do you dream about having stained glass windows at your church, but know they are too expensive to ever get them? Ad Crucem has the solution. Our window clings are an excellent way to enhance the beauty of your church without breaking that glass ceiling. Visit adcrucem.com and reach out to us to work with you on this project. Ad Crucem, established in 2014 and still going strong. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. America's tradition of liberty depends on having colleges and universities that equip young people for the responsibilities of freedom. At Concordia University Chicago, freedom is a pillar of our education. We prepare our students to live as free, self-governing citizens. I'm Dr. Rachel Ferguson, director of the Free Enterprise Center at Concordia Chicago. I invite you to visit us. Discover what it means for freedom to become a pillar of your future. Learn more at cuchicago.edu. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Mark Hemingway is senior writer for Real Clear Investigations. We're talking about the Iowa caucus results. Mark, why did the Democratic Party decide this time around to start the primary in South Carolina? I believe that was a change that was made recently. I'm trying to remember the exact details, but it had something to do with the fact that Iowa was no longer a very Democratic-friendly state. It wasn't that long ago that that it was. And it's become increasingly conservative and Trumpy in, in the last decade or more. And the other issue was simply that going to South Carolina was a sort of pandering to, you know, the black voters, of which there are plenty in that state and the significance of that and allowing them, you know, kind of an extra say in, in what's going on. Will Joe Biden be the Democratic nominee? 
<laughs> I mean, that depends on his health. I mean, that seems to be the number one factor. Um, but other than that, one thing that has just been, you know, we talk about media malpractice, it's just been like totally undercovered is that, you know, for a couple of election cycles now, the Democrats have run more or less entirely corrupt primaries, basically designed to screw over Bernie Sanders, essentially, and other any other outside candidates that aren't favored by the establishment. In 2020, the Democratic caucus in Iowa was just a complete debacle, where they used this, they, they this electronic app to count the votes. And it turns out that the app, which broke down, and it took them days to count the votes and figure out who the winner was, the app that failed the Democrats was made by a company that was owned by someone who was married to a top Buttigieg strategist, Pete Buttigieg, the current transportation secretary, who was running for president then. And it so happened that when the smoke cleared, Buttigieg narrowly lost in the popular vote in Iowa to Bernie Sanders. And yet somehow, according to Democratic rules, he got more delegates coming out of Iowa than Bernie Sanders. The whole thing was just absolutely insane. And I don't know, Democrats do a very good job of making sure that the party has complete control over who the eventual nominee is. And, and this has been the story of the last two elections for them. The candidates, of course, move on to New Hampshire. I know that Haley is nose to nose with Trump in the current polling there. Is the DeSantis or Haley upset possible? Absolutely. I would say there's a, there's a very good chance that Haley wins New Hampshire. You also have to remember that in addition to polling neck and neck with Trump in New Hampshire, it's very easy for Democrats to just go and register and vote in the Republican primary. And since there's not a competitive primary at all for Democrats, I imagine a lot of them will go there and, and vote for Haley against Trump, who they you know absolutely hate. And, you know, and in fairness, you know, you can kind of do that in Iowa. It's a little more complicated, but it still is fairly easy for Democrats to cross over. And there was some evidence that they were doing that in, in Iowa last night. But regardless, I mean, the polling shows that up in New Hampshire, where the voters are a little less MAGA, Haley is polling neck and neck with Trump. So I would not be surprised at all if she won. I asked you this last fall, is a DeSantis-Haley or a Haley-DeSantis ticket possible in order to defeat Donald Trump? At this point, that seems incredibly unlikely just because the revealed preferences of voters last night. I mean, Donald Trump just won the Iowa caucuses by over 30 points, the largest margin in the Iowa caucus history. And, you know, combined with the fact that, you know, the incentives are perverse enough that DeSantis may hang around for a while, but he banked his entire campaign on success in Iowa and came up short of the benchmarks that he really needed. So at this point in time, I just don't see um, either of them, you know, joining forces um, to to beat Donald Trump. And I, and I don't even know how what that would look like. I mean, they'd have to, you know, obviously Haley is not going to surrender a huge advantage to DeSantis. So DeSantis would have to basically subordinate himself and they'd have to announce that they're running as a ticket right away. And I, I just I just don't think that's happening because already taking on Trump the way that he did has been problematic for DeSantis's career. And I just don't see him deciding to kamikaze Trump, which is what teaming up with Haley on some oddball presidential ticket at this point would, would amount to. President Trump has indicated that he already knows who he would like to be his running mate. Uh, if he is the GOP nominee for president, will he pick a female VP candidate given his poor polling numbers with women? It's likely. There's actually been a lot of chatter about Trump picking Haley. And 
I don't know what to make of that. I mean, Haley is a very Republican establishment candidate in a lot of ways. You know, her views on foreign policy and some other things are very much at odds with Trump world. But Trump has, you know, shown himself to be very pragmatic about winning elections. Uh, you know, some might say even unprincipled um, in terms of his approach to this sort of thing. On paper, it makes a lot of sense in terms of Haley reassuring moderates and, you know, picking up women and suburbanite voters and other things that, you know, would help Trump. But it really would be two people that are kind of at odds with each other from sort of everything from aesthetic to policy preferences. But, you know, Haley did work in a Trump administration. So who knows? And I also think she's ambitious. So that, that's a definite possibility. I mean, other possibilities. Certainly there's, there's been chatter about you know, Christy Noem, the governor of South Carolina, who was great on COVID and known as a rock solid Republican governor until recently there were some rumors about her personal life and uh, she botched this bill involving transgender stuff that really upset a lot of conservative activists. But other than that, she's known for being, you know, uh, a very conservative, good governor, and she's certainly uh, an attractive woman candidate. So that's a possibility. And then there's, you know, there's the, you know, other crazy MAGA ideas, I'm sure, like, Kari Lake, the failed gubernatorial candidate in Arizona, is running for Senate this time. You know, who knows? But, uh, you know, it's an idea a lot of people are talking about. There was, I think, a story just the other day where someone in Trump world was asked about Trump's running mate, and he quickly ruled out the idea of selecting Vivek Ramaswamy as Trump's running mate, but wouldn't rule out Nikki Haley. So, who knows? Just keep your uh, eyes and ears peeled for any signs of what, what, what that might look like. Who do you think would be a good VP pick for Trump? Oh boy, um, that's that's really tough. Nikki Haley, on paper, in a lot of ways, looks like an ideal candidate for Trump. It's just the policy thing. I mean, she represents very much an est- a breed of establishment republicanism that I don't think that many Trump voters are looking for. So, you know, somebody like that, somebody that would reassure moderates and establishment republicans, but is maybe a little more friendly. Basically, if Nikki Haley had Ron DeSantis's policies, <laughs> you'd have the perfect vice president for Trump. But I don't really know who that's going to be. I mean, I felt like Mike Pence came a little bit out of nowhere in 2016 in terms of I did not expect Trump to pick him. But, you know, it ended up making sense because he did serve that role where a lot of people had concerns about Trump's morality or lack thereof. And, you know, Pence had an unimpeachable record that reassured a lot of evangelical voters and other things like that. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't have a, a good suggestion. I'm, I'm a reporter, not a political consultant, unfortunately. I do not know if you've read Noah Rothman at National Review this morning, and he concedes that Trump won and won big, but he says he really should have won bigger. He's effectively the incumbent, should have been able to break out of the 50s, even though it was record-breaking. It was a low turnout. And he says, if you look at the raw numbers of votes that he took in Iowa, it's not that much of an improvement over 2020. What are your thoughts there? With due respect to Noah, who's a friend, I think that's absurd. (laughs) He literally won Iowa by the largest percentage ever. He's not an incumbent per se. He's kind of perceived as the incumbent. He's been out of power for a while, and I just don't. I don't know how much you expect Trump to to run up the scoreboard. I mean, it's pretty clear he's going to be the nominee and Republican voters are not going to be conflicted about that. Mark Hemingway is senior writer for Real Clear Investigations. You can read his columns at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Mark, thank you. Thank you. 
Folks, the National March for Life is this Thursday, January the 18th in Washington, D.C. Find out how to connect with other pro-life Lutherans at lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org. Pastor Tom Baker is with us on the other side of the break to teach a Sunday school lesson on Queen Esther. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the Word of the Lord endures forever. Join Lutherans for Life at the For Such a Time as This Lutheran Adoption Conference, April 10th and 11th in Houston, Texas. Enjoy the testimony and talents of Dove Award-winning musician and adoptee Mark Schultz. Discover expert information and exciting opportunities, and experience the fellowship and celebration the 2024 Lutheran Adoption Conference, April 10th and 11th in Houston. Find out more and register at lutheransforlife.org conferences. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Lutheranism in the public square. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted, that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through His Word and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus where the Word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155. 